0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Wenton, California. In continuing with our series in the Holy Spirit, I have a tendency to find flaws in myself to use as an example. And I'm going to do that again this morning. But I've told that maybe I should stop that for a while. So that you guys might actually like me. But when I think about what the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is in my life, I think of ways of how he's changed me. I think about the time when I first came to know Christ and what that meant in my life and the things that changed in my life. And then inevitably, like we hear about so many people, they fall away from the Lord And they don't follow him closely. And the things that drastically go back to the way things were. And then the issue becomes, was there true salvation? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit can guide us back no matter where we are, where we're from, where we're going. All we have to do is trust. And along those lines, here I go, I'm going to start on it and just bear with me. But when I bought my first car, which was a lifted Ford Ranger, I obviously did not know how to do anything on that truck. I didn't know how to fix anything, other than two things. I was taught two things, and that was to change the oil and to possibly uh, change a spark plug. And that was pretty much about it. And other than change the oil, and possibly replacing my spark plugs, I have now come to the realization with newer cars that I can no longer do any of those maintenance items because today's automobiles are uh, being replaced with points and distributors and carburetors with computers and fuel injection systems that require equipment, That I don't have in order to work on the engine. And as much as I like to learn new things, I'm okay with that. I'll leave it to the experts, Keith, right? I'll leave that to the experts. But while it's true the design of today's car engines, and I promise we'll get into a sermon. But in today's car's engines, they've changed a lot over the last generation. The basic operation of the internal combustion engine remains largely unchanged. Our cars still use a spark to ignite compressed gasoline vapors in order to move pistons which are connected to a crankshaft which is connected to an axle that turns the wheels to make our cars move. Anybody else learn something new today? I did. I might have known these things, but I didn't know them. And of course, I had to look this up. This wasn't something I knew off my own knowledge. But to me, um, this is a good illustration of the difference between how we see God working in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Bible is clear that God never changes. Amen? God never changes. Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And that's James 1.17. And then Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same when? Yesterday and today and forever. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that God operated exactly the same way in the Old Testament as he does on the side of the cross. And that is particularly true of the Holy Spirit. We saw that last week when we looked at the words of Jesus in John 14, and in particular, I want to call your attention to these two verses that we spent quite a bit of time on, and that was John 14, verses 16 and 17. You don't need to turn there, but I'll read this to you again. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you so we need to focus a little bit this morning on the last phrase when speaking of the holy spirit jesus says that he dwells in other words present tense with the disciples. But after Jesus leaves the earth to return to his father and he sends the helper, the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit will be future tense in them. So there is clearly going to be a change in some of the details of the way the Holy Spirit operates. He will go from dwelling with them to being in them. And in this morning, in our second message in this series of the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament in order to help us better stand this change in his operational methods. But as we do that, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit and his character haven't changed one bit, not even a little And before we proceed, I need to share a word of caution to you. If you attempt to research the topic of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament on your own, which I certainly encourage you to do, you will undoubtedly be exposed to an ongoing debate between two theological camps, One is the covenant theologist and then the dispensational theologist regarding whether the Holy Spirit actually indwelled in the Old Testament saints. And without going into further detail into that, I leave that to you. And if you have a question, ask Dave. (laughs) We're not going to get in the middle of that argument this morning because It would only distract from our understanding of the ultimate goal. See, Dave already left, okay? How can we harness the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today in order to live obedient, fruitful lives while we're here on this earth? What I want us to do this morning is to see what we can learn from the operation of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament that will help us accomplish that goal. And obviously we can't look at every single passage that refers to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament in our limited time here this morning. So I've selected just a few representative passages that will allow us to determine how the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament, and why that is relevant for us now. So I want to encourage you to spend more time this week looking for additional passages to test the accuracy of what I'll share with you now. In other words, prove me wrong. Find mistake in what I'm telling you. Don't just assume it's truth. Too often, we operate that way. We take everything at face value. We assume what we're told is exactly what it should be. How many of us use Wikipedia? How many of us use sources that we claim it's true, but when we actually go back and research and do the work, we find that there's actually truth to some things, and then lies in other cases. What was the purpose of God given the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? What was the process by which God gave his Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Well, the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, although we can't possibly look at every single reason that God gave his Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, we can focus on the four which are the most significant and relevant for us. First of all, the purpose of it all is to give us life, to give us life. We see this clearly in the creation account in Genesis where the Holy Spirit makes his first appearance. In the scriptures, in the second verse of the Bible. So Genesis 1 2. Turn there now. Genesis 1 2. It's the book of the Bible before Revelation, in case you can't find it. Genesis 1 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the face of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit, as part of the triune God, was present and played an integral part in the creation. This is confirmed later in the account of the creation of man, later in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1.26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. What you need to notice here is the plural pronouns there. Us and our. All three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are present and involved in Creation and in giving life to man. This idea is confirmed elsewhere in the Old Testament. Uh, Job 33, 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. And I'm sure as many of you know, The word for spirit in both Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, and Greek, the language of the New Testament, can also be translated wind or breath. And knowing that breath is required for life just further confirms the idea that the Holy Spirit is the giver of physical life. Now you'll need to keep that in mind when we get to the New Testament where we find that he is the giver of spiritual life as well. And the second thing that the Holy Spirit does is reveal. It gives life, but it also reveals. So the second purpose of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was to reveal the things of God. Now let's look at a few examples of this aspect of the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament. In Nehemiah chapter 9, you don't need to turn there, just make reference. The people of Israel gathered to worship and Ezra got up and began to recount how God had blessed his people throughout their history. As he reminded them of how God had blessed them in the wilderness even after they had forsaken him, he pointed out how God had revealed his ways through the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah 9.20, you gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. When God sent his prophet Isaiah to his people to reveal his ways And to lead them to live according to those ways. It was the Holy Spirit who enabled that revelation to take place. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way that you should go. Isaiah 48. The psalmist also spoke of the work of the Holy Spirit in the process of revealing God's will to his people. Psalm 143, teach me... To do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And as we'll see later on in this series, one of the most important tasks of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to reveal the truth of God. And although that aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit has certainly changed somewhat in how it Um, operates in our lives today, it is the same basic work that the Holy Spirit has been engaged in from creation onward. The third of these aspects we need to know about the Holy Spirit, not only does he give life, not only does he reveal, but the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was meant to rebuke. Understand that. It was the, He was there to rebuke. The Holy Spirit has always been involved in the process of revealing sin and rebuking us when we rebel against God. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit often did that through the prophets. As Ezra reminded the people in that same chapter in Nehemiah that we looked at earlier. He says in verse 30, God used the prophets to point out Israel's sins and to warn them of the consequences of that sin as those prophets spoke. They were led by the Holy Spirit. The prophet Micah also expressed his reliance on the Holy Spirit as God used him to rebuke his people. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Micah 3 8. And there's another aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit that occurred in the Old Testament. So we can see that it is very important that we understand what is the Holy Spirit and who is the Holy Spirit because in which this greatly expanded in scope and changed somewhat in its operation in the New Testament. He never changed, but the way he operated did. Why did he do that? Because in the fourth aspect of the Holy Spirit, why it was important that he was in the time of the Old Testament was not only to give us life, to reveal things to us, to reveal the truth of God, to rebuke us of when we sin and to correct us. But more importantly, the Holy Spirit was there to equip us. It was to equip us. And that is the final purpose of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in equipping his people. And we see this purpose operating in the lives of the people of God in Two broad areas. First of all, we are called to serve the Lord. We are called to serve the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God giving His people a task and then equipping them to accomplish that task through the work of the Holy Spirit. When God gave the instructions for the construction of the tabernacle, His Holy Spirit Equipped the craftsmen to be able to carry out those instructions. That's good news for me, because I certainly don't have instructions to do many things. But God provides that. The Holy Spirit provides that in our lives. So when we come up with the excuses, I don't know where to serve, I don't know that I can be of use to God. Have you asked for the blueprints? Have you asked for directions, men? Have we asked for directions? That's what he's saying. We need to ask to be in faithful service. When God gave the instructions for the construction of that tabernacle, they didn't know exactly what was to be done, but they were instructed and they were able to carry out those instructions. Exodus 35, 30 through 33. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezazel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft." Do you know what that tells me? We don't have an excuse. We don't have an excuse why we're not serving the Lord in the capacity that maybe we should. Because God and the Holy Spirit can equip us to do that job, even if we think we can't do it. How many of you are can-doers and can not do? Samson's life is certainly a great example of this aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit. Every time God wanted to use Samson to serve him, he equipped him by placing the Holy Spirit upon him. And one of those events occurred when the Philistines came to attack God's people. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax as that has caught fire. And his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it struck 1,000 men. I don't like those odds in my favor. Me versus a 1,000. Dave, you ready? Yeah. No. In the Old Testament, the equipping of the Holy Spirit in order to serve God seems to have consisted primarily of providing physical skills, ability and strength, as well as knowledge. But as we'll see later in this series, the Holy Spirit still equips God's people to serve him. But that aspect of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is certainly much broader and is not just limited to the physical realm. The second of those things I was telling you was that we need to be representing God. This is why the Holy Spirit is in our lives, because we represent God. By far, the majority of the accounts of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament involve equipping men to be God's representatives in the world. We've already seen that in the life of the prophets who spoke on behalf of God. But the Holy Spirit also equipped many others to be God's representative in some way. We have a little bit of time this morning to look at a few. You see, when God commanded Moses to appoint 70 elders who would be God's representatives to help settle disputes among his people, he placed the Holy Spirit upon them so that they would be equipped for that task. We call people to ministry all the time. We call people to serve all the time. But how many of us are actually equipping these individuals it's more like a there's a 20 place that on your jacket good luck we don't follow through with our ministry we need to continue to lead we need to continue to teach we need to continue to be a part of these people's lives whom we're ministering to it shouldn't be a one and done It is a continual process when someone is baptized. When you are here to witness that, do you understand your responsibility? We're responsible to that individual so that they grow. So that they know who the Lord is. And why the baptism is so significant in their life. There's supposed to be a change. We help facilitate that change. The Lord equips us because we are representatives of God. So Moses went out and he told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him And put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them. They prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. We have to continue the work. Just because we're 20 or 99. We're not done. God is not done with us. During the period... Of the judges, the Holy Spirit consistently came upon those who God had chosen to lead his people. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel, who saved them. you see we see the same process repeated over and over. Um, Look at the lives of Gideon and Jephthah. We also see the Holy Spirit coming upon Saul and David in their role as king of Israel. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, Saul, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. You see, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So once again, we see that the Holy Spirit is still in the business of equipping his people. What's our excuse? What's our excuse? He is in the business of equipping his people to serve him and to be representatives here on earth. Even though the specifics of how he does that may have changed somewhat, we are still called to do so. So let's summarize briefly what I've yelled at you for the last few minutes. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Well, we know in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit gave life, that he revealed the things of God, he rebuked the people when they rebelled against God, and equipped his people to serve God and to be his representatives here on earth although the scope of that work and the methods he uses to carry out those tasks may have changed somewhat today, the Holy Spirit is still engaged in those very same works because they are consistent with who he is. And as we looked at the purpose of the Spirit in the Old Testament. We've also been exposed to the process by which He worked. And we could spend tons of time talking about that. But there are a couple of aspects of that process that are still instructive for us. The process of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is this the work of Of the Holy Spirit was limited and temporary. Understand that. The work of the Holy Spirit was limited and temporary. And you may have noticed that in most of the passages that we looked at. That the Holy Spirit came, rushed, or rested upon the individual. Now, we saw only a couple places where the Holy Spirit filled. Or otherwise was described as being in someone. And regardless of whether the Spirit was upon someone or in them, that was, as a rule, a temporary work of the Holy Spirit that was limited to certain tasks. For instance, we read that once Saul no longer served God as God desired, God removed His Holy Spirit from Saul's life. Now, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We also see that in Samson's life, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him on a number of different occasions, indicating that his presence in Samson's life was not permanent. And as we'll discover, this is one of the main differences between the way the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament and the way he operates in the life of a Christ follower today. And although we could spend a lot of time speculating on why that is the case, about all we can conclude from, for absolutely certain is that Somehow the atoning work of Jesus on the cross has made it possible for the Holy Spirit to dwell permanently in our lives and to constantly and consistently be at work in those lives. The work of the Holy Spirit was the sovereign choice of God. The men who experienced the Holy Spirit in their lives neither expected the Holy Spirit to come upon them or did anything to prompt His work in their lives. None of them prayed for the Holy Spirit to come or tried to engage in some kind of religious activity that would bring His presence. It was God who took the initiative to give the Holy Spirit and There is certainly no clear reason given regarding why the Holy Spirit came upon some and not others. And there clearly was not some formula or method that someone could employ to ensure that they would receive the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now we certainly see this principle played out in Saul's life. But even though the Holy Spirit had come upon him in order to enable him to carry out his duties as Israel's king, Saul failed to utilize that power in a way that developed godliness in his life. And that is because even in Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit never forced himself upon anyone. So when Saul rebelled against the leading of the Spirit, the Spirit departed from his life. And this aspect of the process by which the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament is actually very relevant for us. Even though the Holy Spirit is present in our lives, that is no guarantee that we are automatically going to be spiritual or a godly person. We have to choose to plug into that power he provides and make sure that we don't hinder his work in our lives. We'll be spending a lot more time on that topic as we progress through this series. But the role of the Holy Spirit in the old test in the Old Testament is much like his role in the New Testament, as you'll find out soon enough. But when we speak of the role of the Holy Spirit, we can discern in those four general areas which the Holy Spirit works. And we can go through them all over again and again and again and again. But until we understand the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, he cannot operate the way that he was intended to operate in our lives. We know that he works through regeneration. We know that he works through the indwelling or filling of our lives. He has restraint. He offers us that spiritual gift. And he gives us empowerment For service. The fruit of the Spirit's regeneration work is faith. How's your faith? How's it going so far? Is it something we need to work on? Is it something that you need to work on in your own life? Your relationship to others in your lives. The Spirit's work in the Old Testament really is about His restraint of sin and allows us to experience the same. We could also mention that the Spirit's role in creation speaks of the Spirit hovering over the waters and superintending the work of creation. And in a similar fashion, the Spirit is responsible for the work of the new creation. And He is bringing people into the kingdom of God through regeneration. So when we put everything together that we've learned this morning about the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, we find that He is is the very same Holy Spirit who works on our lives today. Even though a bit of the design and some of the individual elements of how he operates have changed since Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to his Father, the basics are the same. The Holy Spirit is God's divine power. And that power is for God's divine work. And that's what I pray that you'll take away from our time together this morning. And as you meditate on that idea, my prayer is that you'll be encouraged to find out more about what that divine power operates in our lives so that you can accomplish the divine work that God has entrusted to you. Amen? Amen. Dave. This past week, I had the opportunity to ponder some things, and among those, the Holy Spirit compelled me to consider is how grateful I am and the privilege I have to serve you, serve with you as a family of God and I certainly hope that you feel the same way as we gather together, that you're grateful for how God is in your life together, there are so many possibilities for this new year so as we stand together, may we take this into the week with us I'm so glad Sing it. <laughs> we are joined in with Jesus as we travel. Heavenly Father, thank you again for our time this morning. I pray as we leave these doors that we will recognize the opportunities that you've placed in our lives to allow the Holy Spirit indwelling in us to lead us and lead to those people who desperately are seeking you. Thank you again for that opportunity, Lord, and I pray as we go into this new week that we will continue to focus our minds on who you are, what you are, and what you can be for others. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings, the blessings of this church and this family. Thank you that I have the opportunity to serve alongside so many great leaders and, of course, all the people here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Have a great week this week.